Hey folks, welcome to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week. This is a conversation podcast where I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. My name is Ivan Pijoni and I'm a Melbourne-based voiceover artist, actor and podcaster. And I'm also the host of the Seinfeld podcast, but I don't want to be a secondary character. Last week I spoke to a guy, his name is Ryan Slowinski. He's the co-host of the movie review podcast Spit and Polish Presents. Previously he was unemployed for four years before eventually finding casual work. And according to Ryan, it wasn't Centrelink that was giving him trouble, uh, rather it was those who he put all his faith in to help him find employment and it really opened my eyes to the just the red tape and the bureaucracy when it comes to unemployment benefits and new start and all that kind of stuff as well it was really interesting the way that ryan told his story and how he did get out of his adversity of chronic unemployment uh, he also talks about how it affected him mentally and uh, how he was able to find work and get out of this cycle of despair it was a really interesting story and a lot of what he said was uh, it was pretty shocking stuff that he went through and just letting you know that there is a reference to self-harm in between the 25 to 30 minute mark of this episode so if you feel that might affect you or anyone else listening to this episode you can skip that section of the episode or if you want you can just skip the whole episode together I don't mind anyway here's my chat with Ryan Slowinski a very interesting guy and a very interesting story about his previous four years of turmoil so I hope you get a lot out of it Ryan, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, no problem. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming all the way. Um, so you're here today because uh, we're talking about a, a few things because one of the themes for this uh, season of In Melbourne last week, I did mention just before off air, is uh, mm. adversity and survival. And uh, you have, a, uh, I guess, a survival story of your own in terms of uh, unemployment. So you were unemployed. I mean, tell us about that because it, it was chronic unemployment, wasn't it? Yeah. So I did the smart decision of studying the creative arts okay. as, <laughs> as my majors in university. So I did drama and film and then I became unemployed and it was a struggle to find like steady employment for, for several years here in Melbourne with what I had experience in. So when I first became unemployed, I was under the assumption that Centrelink was going to be like the big spectre of everything. The spectre is in... You know, the thing that you have to deal with, the oh, thing that you have to okay. go through, the thing that um, people have problems with. You know, Centrelink is that institution that is just there to... It feels like from when I was first starting out, it was like, oh, this is the big bad guy that I have to deal with ah, when I have problems. The big bloated bureaucratic organization that I have to go through. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. In actuality, for me, I can only speak for myself, I never had problems with Centrelink ever. The only times I had problems with Centrelink was like a buy a byproduct of something going wrong on someone else's end and then Centrelink system automatically like going with that problem. So... I had several job recruitment agencies that I had to be a part of because when you're unemployed, you get sent to them and mm. they manage you. A lot of people think like, oh, you have to just deal with Centrelink face to face all the time. But I never really had to. I think probably like two, three times in the maybe four years of unemployment did I ever actually have to interact with Centrelink okay. ever. Right. So there's, a, I guess, a misconception with regards to Centrelink because you hear all these stories, especially with recently, well, their robo debt issue, which is a totally different story to yeah. what you were going through but Centrelink because I've, I've never dealt with them I've never got benefits from mm. them before in my life well so far touch wood <laughs> but people like you see on Twitter you see on Facebook you always hear these anecdotes of Centrelink as this terrible organisation but uh, my understanding is from what you're saying is if you as long as you kind of stick with what they want and you yeah. kind of, you're honest with them you're always upfront. Mm. then I guess it's like the tax, tax office in a way if you're upfront yeah. and honest with them if they inquire about anything you kind of you yeah. know, they'll, they'll help you out that, yeah that's true like when I did have problems with them sometimes it would just be 
be an error in their system. Yeah, and like you said, yeah. It rarely happened to me. Like other people, like my wife, she had when she was unemployed, she had to deal with Sunderlink way more than I ever did. Just for some reason, I never had to. So like every Christmas, they would cut off my payments because I didn't have a tax file number. But that was like an always recurring thing. So yeah. that was like the two, three times I'd phone them up and be like, hey, I have one. And they're uh, yeah. like, we know. It's we know. It's just a system error. It's something that stays with you within, you know, for the rest of your life, literally, till you die. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Tax file number, you don't lose it. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. I, you know, when I first entered unemployment, I was like, oh, Sunderlink's going to be this big thing I have to deal with. But then I got quickly brought down into what I found out to be the case, which was it was the unemployment agencies, like the people who have to help find jobs for you. Yeah. So, yeah, when you, here in Australia at least, when you get unemployed, yeah, you get your Centrelink stuff, you, you go meet with them, they set you up, and then they find like a job recruitment agency that's close to you, and then they send you there, and then those people set up meetings with you every, you know, fortnight or monthly, depending your circumstances, and they just basically ask you very kindly, but also not so kindly to be like, hey, did you find employment? Under the guise that they're going to find you employment. Okay. Okay, sure. The four years that I was unemployed, I never once got set up with any interviews for actual jobs via my job agencies. That right. I had a few. Okay. But the guys is they're going to help you find one. Yeah, okay. So you didn't get as many opportunities in four years. No. No. And that would have played a huge like toll on your mental health and your physical health. I mean, how did you well, how did you feel during that four years? Can you uh, describe that feeling or what you oh, what yeah. you went through? It was a mixture. Um there was obviously frustration. I'm a humorous guy, so I also found it incredibly funny at times. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's like you're living Catch-22, like you're living this weird bureaucratic nightmare world in which like you do this thing and it doesn't work, so it makes this thing happen to you in different ways. It was a lot of frustration overall, and and the way that I coped with it was I would attach some kind of character to the uh, job provider person, like my uh, recruiter that they teamed me up with. So it's like I always was like, okay, these are people, but then sometimes it's really hard to think of them as people because a part of their job at least with my interactions was they had to be to be successful they had to be like cold and calculating and inhuman to survive because the thing is the nicest recruiters that i had at these job agencies the ones that actually cared the ones that actually could provide me employment they would be gone very quickly because they didn't get the results as strongly as the ones who were cold and calculating and inhuman and kind of just filled things in by the numbers. And that would have played a big part as well. I mean, if you're a person who wants to work for Centrelink and you really want to help, mm. you really want to improve the welfare of the person, and like you said, the results don't come, yeah. you probably feel disheartened. You feel like you're up against a brick wall, and I can see why they why they leave. I guess working in a government agency, because you see it as well at Vic Roads and other oh, yeah. kind of organisations, they're all cold. Like, generally, I'm not slandering all of them, but most of the ones that I've come across... They're cold, you know, they're oh, like, yeah. yep, sit down. Yes, here's your number. Yep, what do you want? Thank you. Yeah, Go. and exactly. Yeah. And with these job recruiters, they're not even like government agencies. They're their own private businesses that just interact with Centrelink and get benefits off of them. So when I first got unemployed and I got first sent to my recruitment, it was like three or four days before Christmas. Ah, oh, that's, yeah, so, that's the worst. And you're getting this meeting where they're sitting you down and telling you like, this is what's going to be the way of your life until you find a job. And you're like, oh, this is overwhelming. Yeah. I've just finished university. Now I'm here doing this. And it seems like this is what's going to be my life 
for now and it's Christmas time and the job agency I had was the Salvation Army Employment Plus. Okay. Which don't exist anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> so I walk into this agency and on the wall a crucifix because they're the Salvation Army. So you They're have, Christian, yeah. And, and like these big motivational posters that are like, you know, those kind of motivational posters, but they have this real heavy Christian slant to them. Yeah. And it's like you, I'm walking in and I'm not particularly religious, but I grew up Catholic. But like I walk in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be getting a job. And I'm like, and I see all the walls are covered with like Christian imagery and like this very Christian approach to this is how you're going to find employment. Okay. Believe in the inner spirit of the light from God. And you're like, oh. So you felt like that kind of crushed you. Not crushed you, but it kind of, your hopes went down when you saw that and you thought, Uh, you know, even though religion has helped a lot of people and I respect people who follow religion, but someone like yourself, a more secular person probably thought, yeah, I don't think thoughts and prayers will help me out of this. That's exactly right. Like there was a sense of like, oh. We need more practical measures. Oh, I'm not going to, this is not going to be an easy thing. Like the sense of dread of like, not just because of Christian, it's just like my brain was like, well, I'm coming in here to, you know, go through the bureaucracy and get employment. But now there's like this angle to it that I didn't expect to come into it. And then like um, I meet my first job recruiting consultant guy and he's... I still talk about him a lot to this day because it's like he was such a cartoon of a guy. Like he's like the Australian male. Right. He's very like macho masculine, but also like not. He was very much like I'm trying to be this Australian masculine guy, but I'm uh, working in this office environment. So he's so like I have to- four, four Australian. Yeah, and yeah. he's trying to like be the office drone, but also he's he's a bit of a lad. Okay, sure. So he's trying to like balance this, and his name was uh, uh Dean, right? And uh, he spoke with the most Australian dry crackle kind of voice. He was like, "I'm Dean, yeah, like this real restrained kind of guy." <laughs> he just wants to burst out of his skin. So, what were your experiences with dealing with him? Well. <laughs> First, the first meeting we had, he was very, like, friendly. He was very much like, hey, what's your name there? Ryan? Rye Dog? Ryster? Can I call you that? Then I'm like, yeah, cool. (laughs) And he was, like, you know, in his 30s, probably, and he had, like, receding hairline and, like, this blonde hair that's going grayish and, like, this big rictus grin that just said, like, I'm forced to smile. Yeah, sure. And the first interview I had with him was very, like, formal, like, very, like, here's what you got to do, Ryan. you got to, you got to enter it. you got to write down, like, this many jobs that you searched for in this amount of time, like, 20 jobs in a fortnight. And then you come here and you give me the paper and I put it in the system. Okay. Because you're here to find jobs, and I'm here to help you find jobs. And, you know, it's going to be this system. So you felt like he was being forced to, you know, try and prop you up rather than being genuine and sincere. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very much like you're another thing that I have to enter into the system. And as well as the Christian paraphernalia and the messaging as well as that, I'm sure someone like yourself who's like, dude, I just want a freaking job. Yeah. You know, leave me alone. But <laughs> with the comparing with Dean, like and pretty much everyone who worked there, I don't think any of these people who worked there had that Christian slant to them themselves. These were just people who, we got jobs here. Sure. And this is just what it's like. But like, you know, I just work here. Like that kind of attitude. Okay. Very much like this is a job. I'm here to help you find a job. A job. About this, you know, 
whatever. And the real thing about Dean was was great was he looked at my resume and he was very friendly. He was like, you know, we're you know pretty much like we're gonna be friendly and blah blah. blah. And he got up on his computer my resume and it's he saw like my experiences with previous job histories. Like I you know I worked in radio broadcasting for a period of time. I you know I I've done this thing in the creative arts. I've done that thing in the creative arts. Like you know consultative director. You know this thing this thing this thing. And he saw like my bachelor of creative arts drama and film and his face just went from smiley to just like stern yeah and he was just like i didn't know you're an art student ah uh, because it's so it's the stereotype isn't it art student philosopher <laughs> philosophy majors you know they're yeah. usually in the line and he he just was like this is gonna make it difficult for me ryan and how yeah. did you feel when he said that all, all i could think was like well it's not my fault that, I didn't. that you're a creative person <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And, you know you should be able to help find something yeah but he was very much like this is gonna be really hard ryan you know you did an arts degree you know what i always say why do an arts degree when you could have done a smart degree and oh. that was something i remember like this is just such a cartoony way yeah, of like yeah and they speak in that jargon these and they have to, I imagine. Like, Synergy. You, know, yeah, you have to <laughs> speak to, like, I get it. They have to speak to, like, you know, 50 people a day who all have different problems, who are all on different levels of the socioeconomic income and all that. Like, they're all in different things. But, like, I'm coming in here and it's just, like, nearly Christmas and I'm thinking about from my perspective. And, yeah, Dean, Dean was, like that kind of guy and he was like well you know we're gonna i guess try and find something for you in the arts maybe he never did no he never did find me anything which was amazing because he you know these people will lecture you for like 40 minutes about like you're gonna help you find this thing this thing this thing you need to do your resume you need to do your cover letter and they will give you each time you hand them a resume hand them a cover letter Maybe a week later, maybe a month, maybe two, they'll come back to you and say, I don't know where that resume is. Yeah, I got, or, got lost or, in the system again. I, I looked at your cover letter. I think you could do it better. Yeah. And two months like, later. Two months later or a week <laughs> later. And then you do it like, and you ask them like, how do you do it? And you do it exactly the way they want they wanted. And then later they'll be like, this isn't reading right. And you're like, and, dude, I'm just doing what you what you said. And yeah, then come on. one time with Dean, it was like, I just gave him my first cover letter again. And he was like, this is perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm going, so you see how I'm going crazy already? He, he's not... He, <laughs> He's not putting much thought or consideration into your application because, like you said, he's probably dealing with 50 people a day yeah. and he wants to just get you. He just wants you to get a job so he can get his commission or his benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And he just yeah. wants this creative arts person out of his hair because mm. it's this... Out of his in, portfolio, yeah. It's an inconvenience. So so you found that it was not Centrelink that was the problem. No, it's it was the recruiters. recruiters. Yeah, Because right. I've had, I think, five of them in my time and they all operate in a similar way but all distinctly different because they're all private businesses who can get away with things in different fashions mm. so dean was like an example of like this like a uh, salvation army thing he eventually became more of like an intimidating kind of guy like he was very much like oh so he mood. changed well yeah this is the mood swings where he'll be like hey ryan nice to see you 
Look, I'm not happy with what you're handing in with these uh, job hunts. You know, you could be doing better. And like, and then it would become more aggressive. Like, why right. aren't you finding this job? You've been, you have all these benefits and this, this, and this. And you're trying. I'm trying to apply for different kinds of jobs. Like, I'm trying to apply for ones that are in the creative field. I'm trying to apply with ones that match my job history. I'm also trying to apply for ones that don't. I'm trying to do. Yeah, you're trying everything. If different things, physical, office, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and you know when. You're living that life hunting for jobs. Hunting for jobs takes a lot of time. Sure it does. It ha- yeah. Even even trying to look for jobs while you have a job, <laughs> that takes That's exactly time right. Too. So you're looking for jobs and you have to go through all these different sites and you have to do your resume and your cover letter and specify it for this job, this job. Make sure you can actually get this job. Where is it located? And is it an actual business or is it some kind of scam job? Oh, you know? yeah. Is it actually real? Oh, God, you got to factor all that in as well. On top of your depleting savings things or yep. whatever you have left yeah to survive and then you got this guy coming into your face being like i just don't see you trying and you're like yes i am and it crushes your soul hearing that it crushes you and then <laughs> the best part was um with dean one of the best parts was he always wore the same outfit every day <laughs> so he always wore a sweater vest and a white shirt and i was just like to cope with him i would and cope with all of them i'd come up with like these little character things and i'd, I'd do impressions and yeah. and like that and it was just like oh okay i'm trying to think and then dean became comfortable with me like he was like he i think he got off the approach of i'm gonna intimidate you to look let's talk real and talking real was what he did as a thing to cope with his job yeah. because he was good at it, but nobody liked him there. Okay. All the other people, from his point of view, didn't like him there. So I live in Box Hill, and this was in Box Hill, which is a primarily Asian suburb. Chinese, yeah. And, you know, Dean being the pretty much the only white guy in the office, and he has to deal with people who don't speak English. And so you see this, this bigotry starts building up, and then he sees me as, like, one of the few people we can actually converse with and actually reason with. So he thinks, like, oh, I can unload these personal feelings I have about, like, my job and my life. So, did he ever say any racist remarks oh, to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. he had to code it because his co-workers were Asian. Oh, so, man. he... <laughs> He thought the best way to to make racist Asian comments was to call them the age, oh. and uh, and he thought he was really clever. <sighs> and I was just like, "Come on, man! Come on, like, man! That's stupid." And and you know, he was he was a typical like typical bigoted guy, like racist, sexist, homophobic too. Like he was talking about like Ryan. I'm seeing that you're trying to apply for uh, like a receptionist work or admin work mm. in office places because and... I gotta feed myself and survive. Yeah, like you're not gonna get those jobs, Ryan. Because because you're not a woman. What year is this? 1950? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and he went through, like, when I was in your place, when I finished and I tried to do this, I got a job as receptionist, but the only way I got this job. And he, this was an actual piece of interview advice he had. Like, he goes, if you get an interview for, for a receptionist job and you're a guy, play it gay. That's how you get the job because what year it's is a this? feminine attitude. Like, this, this is how he thought about this. And he was, like, honestly pitching, like, you're an actor. Oh, Use that degree. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God. I'm just rolling my eyes. Not at you, but this This is real. And you just go, yeah, what year is this? And like, but then I think like, what has shaped this guy's 
into this attitude and you just go, I don't know. It's just an amalgamation of the many people he's interacted with, his frustrations, using psychological abuse on you and and possibly others as well, talking down people who don't have jobs within 10 seconds like he wants. He's annoyed that I'm guessing he would have got a commission for each job. Oh, yeah. He didn't get his commission with you, so he unloads his frustrations. He's probably a very lonely person, no friends, no family, probably goes home every night lonely. Well, that's what that's what you think too. Like that's what I think. But also, I thought of him as like this kind of guy who does actually have all those things, but he's just too in his world to think about it too in, in his any world. Like, too internal. You know, and uh, like you just say these things that would throw you off. Like here I am, I'm getting up at nine o'clock in the morning to go to this interview, like to this discussion about my jobs with someone I don't want to talk to at a place I don't want to travel to to do this thing I don't want to do. And there you are sitting face to face, and you're getting like this psychological baggage that you're not asking for but somehow i have to maintain a rapport if i want a good relationship because he's a necessary he's a necessary evil yeah He's, he's a factor in your life who could cut off your payments if you annoy them, which is something that can happen. That can and has happened and will happen again. Exactly. Others. So have you had other recruiters similar to him? Yeah and no. Like, they're all different. So, like, he was the only male okay. recruiter I had. The others were women. And they and it's that typical thing where it's like a lot of things happen, like, in office place environments and these things and these things. And it seems like the two kind of women that I had were, like, the ones that were, like, chirpy and helpful and would actually be there and bubbly energy and like they believed in the cause and then the other one was like the businesswoman who's like cold and emotionless and the only way that you describe them is by calling them a bitch which is you know you know it's not a nice thing to say but it's like that attitude is just seething with just like i do not care for them, you're just a transaction. You're a business transaction, and you're a piece of commission. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but with uh, like with Dean, what happened with him too was with these things with these job agencies. What they will do is they will shift you so that they don't have to interact with you and have to deal with you as much into these dumb courses so like you're going to do a cert 2 in office place environment management and you're like what does that even mean Mm. so this course is going to go for 8 weeks it's on 3 times a week you have to come to this office so now you're being forced into this course that's for nothing and you can't refuse it because it's a part of your mutual obligation that you sign when you're unemployed so you have to do your mutual obligation you have to search for this many jobs you have to attend these interviews and you have to do these courses. So you're kind of trapped in this world. So now I'm going three days a week to this course that goes from nine to two. And then I'm still supposed to find jobs and I'm still supposed to interact with Dean. Finding a job is a full-time job. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. I do this course and I've never met so many openly depressed people in my life. They're all in the same boat as you. They're all in the same boat and or worse off. But like what I mean is like they're so open about it. Into It was a comical degree where we had this different woman who didn't work for this agency coming in to do this course she came from her own agency of doing a course in cert 2 for whatever named Georgia and one time Dean called her Georgina and that's when she decided she didn't like Dean anymore because she didn't like that but we were all there was like I don't know 30 people and we're all sitting around this giant table and Georgia's like okay let's introduce ourselves say our name and like you know give a little bit of a reason why you're here which is not a great thing to ask as I soon discovered 
Georgia didn't test out activities before she made us do them. So you have people be like, I'm here, my name's such and such, and I'm here because I can't find a job because of these reasons. And then it just got progressively worse. Like one person was like, I'm here and my mother's dying of cancer and I'm not getting enough benefits for being a carer. So I have to get more benefits and I'm having to do this now. And then another person was like, I was a footballer. And then I injured my knee and ruined my future career as a footballer. And now I'm depressed. I'm here. And it was like on and on. Like one girl was like, I went to prison for arson. I've just gotten out and now I'm here. And you're like, and then it comes to me. It's like in a row, like three or four people like that. And I was like, oh, I did an arts degree. (laughs) And now I'm here. And then everyone goes, oh my God. I'm so sorry. And then the next guy was like. And they're all hugging. Yeah. And then the next guy was like, oh, my dad died. And now I'm here because I'm depressed. I'm like, oh my God. And it just keeps going on. So they were like these openly depressed people. But the thing that bonded us all together was all of us at one point had Dean as a consultant. Yeah. So, you <laughs> so had, we would all you had have a common Dean ground. stories. Yeah, we all yeah, have yeah. Dean stories. Like That tidied you over. Every girl that had Dean had at one point cried because of comments he made. I'm like, this is a good it's, thing that yeah. you... It's like, psychological abuse. Psychological abuse. And these agencies and these things get away with this because several reasons. But like their own, their own little private businesses. No one's really monitoring them. They're their own things if you do make a complaint you're going to take it to their boss who's going to be on their side because you're just one of the commissions you're just one of the unemployment people who's pathetic you can't find a job you're here that's the kind of thing so it's like when there was abuse there was stuff you can't take it anywhere because what's the point right like and that was a big discovery for me was what's the point i would take it further i'd be like this 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 and i'll make it unhelpful for myself but also i'll try and be civil like i'll try and maintain a healthy relationship because you don't want to anger these people but also you want to stand up for your rights as a person right when we were doing this unemployment course i call it the cert 2 course we all made fun of dean and we all had our little impressions and one time dean came into the course because he he was in the same office and he came in and he was just like hey we're all having a break he was like looking at us and like hey and he's trying to interact with us like we were just fellow people which was Mm. really odd and he saw one of the girls playing on her phone with snapchat and he was like snap what's that because it was fairly newish and he was like what's that and she told him it was snapchat and he's like oh well maybe if i got it on my phone you could uh at old Dino. You know, we mm. could give each other some snaps. Oh, yeah. And that became a staple of how we all saw Dean was like that guy whose office place inappropriateness was adding you on Snapchat and probably we were all like, and he would probably give you a dick pic. Like that's... Yeah. When, if he finds <laughs> out that with Snapchat, it's only up for like, what, a minute? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll start doing that. And I nicknamed him Dickie Dean. Dickie Dark because of dick pics. We all called him Dickie Dean. And then nice. the best part was then his office place started calling him Dickie Dean because people kept calling him yeah, Dickie Dean. Heard, and then yeah. eventually he found out he was being called Dickie Dean, but he didn't know where it came from. And him being him, he was like, I hate it, but the best way to cope with it is to embrace the name mm. Dickie Dean. So on this whiteboard, his name was Dickie Dean for like their quotas or whatever. And you could tell he was so frustrated yeah, with people calling it, him yeah. Dickie Dean yeah, and he didn't he know hold it, yeah. where it came from and when this course was wrapping up we were playing games like this was the point where it's like the course that we were doing they would make us read through these booklets and then this woman would be like okay now do a quiz on what we've read but then she would actually just tell us the answers yeah so there was no point of attending this five hour thing each day so you're like okay and then she was like let's just play games and one of her games was and she didn't test this 
and see how this could go wrong with a room of openly depressed people who were very open about their lives. Who had their own adversities. I want you to write on a piece of paper a secret about yourself. We'll fold that, put it in a pencil case, and we'll all choose one at random and guess whose secret it is. Can you imagine that? Yeah. The first one right off the bat was someone, and, and this should have been a sign that maybe we should have stopped, was someone opened up and it said, and they were like pale, and they just was like, oh, should I read this? And she was like, yeah. And it was like, I think I might be gay. And the funniest thing was, we all knew who it was. We all knew who this guy was, this older guy, and the person who read it had to... <laughs> This little act of being like, oh, who could it be? Because you don't want to immediately be like, it's you, Michael. Like, how awkward would that be? So they had to be like, could it be, oh, could it be you, right? No. Could it be you, Georgia? No. And then like, Michael? And then he'll be like, yeah, it's me. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is you. Then it'll be on and on and on like that. And then here's the thing. What happens when you have the last one left? We all know who it is because they're not the person who's been read. So Georgia was like, we can figure out a solution to this as a group. And me being a jerk, I was like, how about we get Dean to come in. He knows us all and he hasn't heard any of us oh, so, because yeah. I was being a joke. And the guy whose secret was was like, oh, I don't know. It could be a bit full on. And I'm like, no, it would be funny. Dickie Dean coming in. And Dean did come in because Georgia didn't think that maybe we shouldn't listen. Do, to- I, need, do I need to put a trigger warning at the start of the episode for this one? No, no, it's just <laughs> okay. funny. Okay. Um, Dean comes in and he's like, oh, what's happening? Are we playing a game? And it's like, yeah, we're playing a game, Dickie Dean. And he's like, oh, I love games. I'm like, I bet you do. Oh, yeah. And he picked out this thing and he he went pale and he was like almost like he was in shock and he was like looking at georgia and georgia was looking at him like yeah yeah read it yeah read it and he was like uh, uh, my dad died five years ago and i was too afraid to go to the funeral and then we all oh like oh and i was like chris to the guy next to me and he's like yeah it's me and then dean just was like oh my god and just left and, and went probably back quit <laughs> and went back to his office job yeah then the course finished up and this is this is the quintessential thing about these unemployment things the system's broken of in course. many different ways we got a phone call and this course went for like seven eight weeks i got we all got phone calls from this course the people running it which was from queensland and they were like did you do it and we're like yeah, I did it. It's did like, the course. Did you do the course? You right. attended? You yeah. did all the things? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. We just needed to make sure. And I was the only person out of the 30 people that attended it that asked, why are you asking me this? And they reported back, because Georgia never handed any of it in. She just didn't do her job. So we're going to have to ask you. And we're just going to take your word for it. So this seven to eight week course, I could have not attended yeah, and could and have said, said that yeah, I, did, I did and yeah. I would have got no repercussions. So yeah. it's like, this is what drives you insane. Yeah, of course. And then after that, I go back to Dean and Dean's just like, we have another interview. And then he tells me like these insane stories, like all at once, like bam, 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 bam. Like one of them was like, you know, this is full on. He was just like, Ryan, you know how hard it is to be me at this job. I have to speak to a lot of people, a lot of people with different problems. Your problems are nothing in comparison to their problems. You think you're having a tough time? I was interviewing a young Aboriginal man one time. I told him his payments were cut. There was nothing I could do. They were cut. Mm. You know what he did, Ryan? He sat here and cried. (laughs) I know. And then, and like, and this is full on, you know, you put a trigger warning for this, but this is full on. And then he was like, and then the young guy grabbed out a knife hmm. and he just cut himself in that, in that seat that you're sitting in right now and Jesus. i was just like whoa yeah definitely putting a trigger warning in at the start <laughs> for sure and my comedy brain set in because you know when you have stuff yeah. like that and i was just like oh, this chair because that's all i could think like why are you telling me this and there's no reason other than just to intimidate you like just to put the fear like hey you're unimportant you know 
Yeah. There probably was no Aboriginal kid who did that. It's who probably knows? all hypothetical, but it could have been real. could have been very real. And then I ended that interview by saying, oh, thanks, Dickie Dean. Yeah. In that way where it's like, I was the one who started. And then the next one I had, he sh- he put me with another consultant. Yeah. He didn't want me anymore. And then literally two weeks later, that agency disappeared. They were like, ah, oh, due to unexpected circumstances, we're all wrapping up here. You're going to have to move somewhere mm-hmm. else. And it's just, they move you on to somewhere else. And I moved to like two or three different ones. They wrapped up quickly. Like I had one for three months and then one for like eight months. And then people were cracking down or they were complaining enough about them. Yeah. And then like, and then the one that I had for a long time called Serena Rosso, who are still there, is the, in the exact same office as the Salvation Army Employment Plus. Right. So I'm back to where I started. Yeah. Started, yeah. And you just get so depressed. You're like, I'm back here again. But there's no Christianity on the walls now. There's just nothing on the walls nothing, now. Nothing, yeah. The only thing they kept was the fire escape, like emergency procedures. And that was like all they kept. And it was like the exact same place, the exact same type of people, except for like, now I'm here again and I've gone through all these things again. And it's just like... <sighs> What do I do? And you're searching for jobs. You're not really getting anywhere. And they're not helping you find jobs. And they're not helping you understand how to find jobs. They're giving you like advice and then they contradict that advice. And then you find out that the thing that you were doing in the first place was the correct piece of advice. Like the cover letter situation with Dean you mentioned before. Exactly. And then you just get depressed. For fun, I just never changed what jobs I wrote down. And just wanted to see if they would find out if like four months in a row I handed in like the same sheet of paper with the same job in the same order like I'm searching for this job at this age again and again and then I got really funny with it I was like oh I'm gonna put food chewer as a job I searched for and bum wiper right and then bum wipe to be French yeah sure and <laughs> they never realized they yeah. never looked and then you realize oh I could just do anything I want because yeah. there's no point yeah in trying and then you get to that phase when you're chronically unemployed where you just stop looking for jobs because it becomes because you've tried so long what's the point what's the point and you have job interviews at places that are like clearly like sleazy businesses but you have to wait for the right time to leave those interviews or else you're going to, like, make a bad... You know, I don't want to make a bad impression. Like, that's the thing, like... And sometimes it takes a little while for you to figure out, oh, this is, like, some sleazy sales job or something or other. Yeah. One I went to, like, it was so... One interview I actually did get on my own was, like, some sleazy, like, telemarketing, door-knocking kind of job. And, like, there was just... It was just so depressing. Like, there's this, like, 75-year-old woman sitting there wanting this job too and it got down at the end of the interview it was me and her we were the only ones left that they wanted and both her and I stood up at the end of our session of interview it was like two hours two and a half hours and we walked out you know I was the last one out of this room I was like, do you want me to close this door? And the person was like, yeah, you can close the door. And I looked back at the 75-year-old woman's seat and there's a pool of piss there. And I was like, is this going to be my future? Am I going to be doing this until I'm peeing myself and I'm old and like this is the life I'm going to be living? Yeah, it just feels like there's no end to it. Yeah, and when you're unemployed, the people that you can relate to are fellow unemployed people because, you know, all the people I know down here in Melbourne are... 
from well-off families. They don't need to have a job. They can live at home. I don't live at home. I'm from a, my home's in a different state. I've come all the way down here on my own with no support net, really. So you can't express these things to other people, or at least in my case, because they're like, well, why can't you just get your parents? It's like, because my parents, are, one of them's also un- unemployed. Like, I can't, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, they're like, why don't you just volunteer? at a place and that's good for your resume it's like when I do have i have to eat man when do i have the time yeah that's right and the energy and you know got to go to these bullshit eight-week courses y- yeah exactly right yeah. so you just get depressed and you get like down in the dumps and eventually you have to like pull yourself up and whatnot and and just get through with it but then like you have these consultants who are just like cartoon immature people like every now and then i'll just check up on them like what are they doing now like dean where are like, they now where are they now and like you're like yeah yeah this, this makes sense for what they're doing. Like, like I'll look him up on Facebook and see Dean has a profile picture of himself shirtless next to a bushfire he started. And you just go, of course, of course. Why wouldn't he have one like that? And you get like these little nuances of these people. Like one of the things with like, you know, it feels like you've got Stockholm syndrome to these people because I like I hold them to such weird esteem. Like I hate them. There's little things that I've introduced into my own life that are like ticks that I picked up from them. Like Dean would always say, you know what they say and then never follow up with anything and i do that now like just occasionally i'm like you know what they say and then not say anything so it's creeped into your mind as well because i this is a way to cope with them like i'd be like these are characters these are weird nuanced little and i'd make jokes about like you know dean wears the same sweater vest every day and you open up his cupboard and it's a sweater vest sweater vest sweater vest it's like a it's like a character from the simpsons exactly which adds to the cartoon persona that you put for him and then you know i went to other unemployment agencies and eventually i did find a job on my own which was working at Woolworths, okay. which I still have, but it was yeah. such minuscule hours and it's hard to get more in the metropolitan area. Like, you know, it's just like you have so many people working at Woolworths, uh, at my one at least, and it's just like I wasn't getting enough hours. So now I'm even more depressed because I found employment on my own, but I'm not earning enough money, so I'm still unemployed. You're underemployed. I'm underemployed. Yeah. And I'm now having to do these job things, do these courses, do these minuscule shifts shifts and do everything at the same time like be in a relationship and deal with the problems of living at home in a shared house environment and you know traveling here and there to do this thing and that thing and just like oh oh my god yeah we're just going back to uh, home life how did unemployment affect your home life were you with your now wife at the yeah time? yeah okay. we how- were we were living in a shared uh share house at the time with like you know people that were just coming in and out and you know it was our life like our relationship was fine like i could for the most part separate the the home life from that life like you know i'd have to be like every now and then you have your down days and you have your down moments but for the most part i could shift those things into separate modes but it was hard and i'd come back each time with a story like hey dean today said this thing or like bianca today said that thing or like when i was in the course this person said that they that they set their boyfriend's house on fire with them in inside but it's okay they're alive and now this person's found jesus when they went to prison and i should like absorb this in like you know because it's like this information i'm getting yeah three days a week five yeah. hours a day and then you know you look back and you go wow that was really difficult and like i have two jobs now both okay like i've got my Woolworths job still with minuscule hours and then i've got a crossing guard job and you know that's like 10 hours 
15 hours a week and you get like you know so so money for it and you, you know i'm combining those two jobs and i'm like just scraping over what i was getting when i was unemployed on benefits like you know probably like a hundred dollars more yeah but it's so much better than having to do that life still deal with people like dean do these bullshit courses but at least yeah you're doing something productive especially being the crossing guard for school children i yeah. imagine and, and uh, members of the public yeah other members of the public woolworths i'm sure a retail work can be pretty hard at times but yeah you know you get to mingle and interact with different people from different backgrounds yeah. and different socioeconomic statuses and stuff so it's more diverse and you're actually doing something productive yeah and that's exactly right when i was you know unemployed the thing too is you would just the thing that would get me down was it was just it was just like i'm meeting so many horrible people in this one place and you can understand like the people who are unemployed and why they were horrible and then you can understand I could understand the people doing these jobs that are trying to help us find jobs I can understand why they were horrible too but that like makes it worse at the same time like I go I can figure out the thought process here behind why people are like this yeah. you know when I went to Serena Rosso the job agency the person I had there was a woman called Bianca and she was very like prim proper she wore like business suits and stiletto heels and like that these horned room glasses and she was very like muscular and angular and i always just i've always described it as like a lizard mm. in like a woman outfit <laughs> because she was just inhuman like she wouldn't understand like why you would struggle reptilian reptilian and like she would give you this advice and you'd be mm-hmm. like hmm, that's good advice I, i'll check if you've done that advice yourself like she'd be like if you got a facebook make sure that you know you put it on private and and what photos are available like your profile picture and your cover photo and what else aren't you know revealing like you know an, an, an employer could look at your social media and get something like oh that's actually you know i haven't thought about that that's actually like great i look her up and <laughs> she doesn't even follow it herself nah. and you're like oh okay like bianca was this woman who was like strict business high ponytail lizard and then you look at her profile and you look up her name and she was like she's doing shots off people's chests and she was a bo- <laughs> she was a she was like a bodybuilder and she has like all these revealing bikini photos and all this kind of oh, stuff right and it was just like maybe you shouldn't <laughs> yeah exactly. maybe you know do as i say not as i do yeah exactly That's, so then you'd be yeah. like oh the slightly professional one because dean was like very unprofessional like you know he's telling me all of his life stories he's he's being racist sexist while bianca was never like that she was just very like okay you've handed in 20 jobs that's great you know i'll see you next week kind of thing and then every now and then you know some technical error will happen one time she screwed up some paperwork of mine and it cut off my payments for like eight weeks oh no and it wasn't my fault, it was her fault. Yeah. But the person who could help me with this was her. The contradiction, you know, like when you're like, oh, the only person who can help me with the error is the person who made the error and they're not going to acknowledge that it's their fault. They're not telling you it's my fault, but subconsciously you're thinking that on a level two when you're down in the dumps, you're like, oh God, was there something I could have done? to solve this so it sounds like this whole industry just needs a shake-up needs a royal commission or it needs something to kind of get that toxicity out yeah yeah and it's just like you try and do your best you try and plot on by like i would be like helping them do their job when they would screw me over like i was there one time until 6 p.m at at night helping them help me and they closed at five bianca would be like heating up her dinner and like working this out and i'm like i shouldn't be here you know like i shouldn't be 
doing this. Like one time, out of just pure fun, I applied for a job at their agency just so I could see what would happen. And they never contacted me, of course, but I just thought it'd be funny to do just for them to see my resume and be like, oh, I haven't seen this before because I've lost it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, You know, eventually things moved forward. You know, there was other big events. You know, they made me do work for the doll, which is a whole interview session in itself that I don't think we could have the time for because that's like a whole saga in itself. But mm. yeah, Bianca, you know, it all culminates with these kind of industries where it's like, yeah, to survive in them, you have to be unfeeling. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be, which is unfortunate. Like I had another woman called Chloe. She was great. She was wonderful. Never helped me find a job though. And then she left after three months because they fired her because she wasn't getting enough results. She was too empathetic. She was too empathetic. Yeah. And then I'm back with Bianca again. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm back here again. And then like with the bodybuilder. With the bodybuilder <laughs> who's got like, you know, no humanity. And you're just like, I'm living in a cartoon. Yeah. Cartoon, like yeah. I had Diggy Dean, I've had bodybuilder Bianca and, and their boss like uh, Bianca's boss was like some big guy called Granville who who spoke with like a thick South African accent and he was always like hey i can find you a job i can find you a job i can find you a job at a fish and chip shop okay and i'm like cool never did he never handed that off to me yeah and you're just like oh, okay and then you know it all came to a head when like you know personal tragedies happen in life my my grandmother died oh, and the the funeral was in a different state my home state in new south wales and you have to you know get the money and go and whatnot and the the time for me to be there fell on the time that i had one of those interview sessions with my unemployment people and they were like and i phoned them up and i emailed them and i was like hey i can't do it Uh, my grandmother's died and they're like yeah look man that's sad and i'm sorry to hear about that but uh do you have a death certificate because we need uh, you know proof that you can't attend this interview and they made it sound like this interview is really important this isn't just like your casual yeah come in hand us your jobs and then come out it's like yeah no i don't because i can't i can't get that information yet you know you can't get it immediately with them i never missed any appointments i never had a delay so i was like and you're allowed to you're allowed to also have phone appointments but yeah. i never had any and i was like i brought all these things up and they were like yeah 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 we know about that but this is a different kind of appointment this is one where you need to physically be there we need to do some paperwork so there was no compassion whatsoever and they were not budging through sheer miracle i managed to shift some things and attend that interview and guess what it was hi ryan have you got your jobs that was it and that was it. So I complained. I took it up higher to the boss. And the boss, of course, took their side. And then Bianca gave me an interview where I was like, look, Ryan, you know, you took your complaint about me further up. They, 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 they didn't recognize it. You could take it to them again if you want. Yeah. And I was just like. That won't work. She's trying to, you know, What's play the point? you. She's trying What's to play the point? you. What's she knows the point? that she'll get away with it. But you ended up going to your grandmother's funeral, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It all worked out in the end, but it was like the most stressful thing. And then I would tell my family and, you know, they would be like, that's outrageous. You need to do this thing, this thing, this thing. It's like, I've already done those things. It ain't working. And like, take this person. I've already done that. It's like this cycle of everyone in your life telling you on the outside of being unemployed, everyone in your life is telling you what to do. Yeah. And you're like, I am doing that. And and they see you as an underling as well. They see you as the shit on their shoes. Yeah. That's shocking. 
You know, yeah. You're still a human being. You don't want to be in this situation. You'd rather have steady employment. Yeah. yeah you don't want to be here. You're not doing this for fun. No, no, exactly. And, you know, that was like the, the very big pinnacle. I was like, yeah, these are just inhuman people. I need to stop treating them like they've got any character to them. They're just things that exist in an office place. And, you know, eventually Bianca got promoted. And got to be a boss in a different branch. And then I got this other woman and she was fine. And then eventually they were like, hey, Ryan, look, you've been with our agency for two years now. Contract with us is over. We're going to have to move you to a different agency. You've never found any employment with us. I'm like, I found my own employment. Yeah, but we didn't find it for you. So we have to shift you somewhere else. And I got shifted somewhere else. And the cycle begins again. But this one was literally next door. (laughs) Literally next door. Same company? No, different. different. They were just okay. they, they all just gather in <laughs> one little, area. One area. So yeah. you know, I have to go to another place. And that place was the exact same, very much like you have to do this thing, this thing, this thing. This one woman was like, You do not have the right to deny a job if it's too far to travel. I travel all the way from Frankston. In my car, and it takes about nearly nearly 90 minutes each day. And if I can do that, you can do that. Literally, the next appointment I had, she wasn't there because she quit the job because it was too far to travel. And I knew, uh, I knew. And I told that to a guy. Like I was like, the guy was like, oh, she told me like I need to do this thing, and 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 he was like, oh, really? And he broke character. He broke this office place drone character. He just sat back and smiled and went. That was very motivational of her. Mm. Like, because even he saw the system was like, fuck. And then I just said, you know, I've had enough. You know, I've got my two jobs. I'm just going to scrape by because I, I stayed on for a little while because, you know, you're not too sure and you get used to the system. And I just scraped by. And then I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to sign off. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to just live on my two jobs. And if I find any other employment that's better, I'll take it. And that's kind of what's been happening. Like, with the adversity and the, the struggles of all this, it's just like other people who are in it and gotten out of it, they all have their things. Mine is just basically I got tired. Yeah. And I took the chance of being like, well, what I've got is enough. Yeah. And it's worked out thus far. And you're doing something, like I mentioned earlier, pro- more productive or something very productive. Mm. There is a point to it, even though it's yeah. not the means to the end. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not, not the ends to the means, I should say. Yeah. You're doing something productive and you're... Yeah, and, I'm being, and I'm being treated like a person in yeah. these employment fields. And it's just like, and here's the thing, I now live down the road from that building. So every day, including today, when I had to travel out here, I had to walk past those buildings where I was unemployed and I just look up at it and I go, eh, I don't have to go there anymore. Good. And, you know, like, yeah, like, I would like to think, like, yeah, you know, you know, I got into adversity and I and I found a mantra and, like, well, no, really, people just get tired and they get off the system. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. One of the people that was in that Cert 2 course, you know, got off the system and they're homeless. They would rather take that than take this this whole beast and this is the thing like people think when you talk about oh you're going to talk about unemployment in australia you're going to be talking about centrelink centrelink in my experience and this is apparently a rarity never were a problem for me it's these unemployment agencies that people don't know exist these commission-based agencies yeah 
Yeah. And so in the end, I just got tired and I went away and I just moved on. And now, you know, I'm, I'm living in a better place and, you know, I'm married now and we've both got jobs and we're both, you know, floating on by and we're both, you know, happy and content. And, you know, my wife, she had to do the unemployment thing only for like a, a few months, but it drove her insane. So it was like <laughs> a few yeah. months and four years. So. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. in the end, it all it all kind of worked out in a way but it's like i think about these things and you think about these people and you're like ah and people have had it worse off than me yeah yeah and so every now and then when i talk about it, i'm like oh well you know i didn't have it as bad as other people but then again it's you like still well, I, can, I can only talk about what i can talk about so yeah. it's like yep that's 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 what it was like being unemployed in my circumstance and then you know obviously all these other issues that go along with it you know you have to hand these jobs and stress and stress and stress but at the end of the day my thing was it's just like the confrontation of what the actual system was in my case i thought it was going to be different then it was like this and then you know the the belittling nature but also just a surprise that you know for some people to thrive in an industry they have to shed away whatever humanity they have or use the worst aspects of human nature to to thrive and survive which is just like miserable to think about but it's true these people are still you know they're still succeeding they're still out there you know one of them got promoted she's thriving like and you just go yeah some people get rewarded for for being the The worst worst people the worst people yeah but that's just how it works and you just have to i just have to every now and then uh you know saddle up with that and just be like yeah that's the case sometimes like i like to be like optimistic but every now and then you just have to think you know from my experiences this is how reality works and it's unfortunate but that's how it is you had to go through it unfortunately and learn the hard way but i guess ryan with other people who i'm sure are listening who are in your situation right now they're having their own adversity through mm. unemployment. They probably have similar situations to you. They might could be arts students mm. or yeah, something much, much worse. What do you say to these people right now who are going through this situation? What message can you give them to kind mm. of inspire them to push through? I would say just follow your beliefs like just just believe in what your central thing is because i was like the big struggle was uh, every time i strayed away from what i believed in and what my whole personality was like that was like the worst thing to do because that's what they want you to do they want you to be this square peg in a round hole and like that's it like yes keep applying keep working hard at it but like you know the reality in my case was you know working hard at it didn't necessarily work like the two jobs i got were from sheer luck and you know that's a part of it but i would just say like just keep true to who you are as an individual because these agencies this system is trying to sand you down and just trying to remove any of that humanity within you and you don't you know you shouldn't you shouldn't take that that's not what they're there for they're there supposedly to help you but they're actually there to help themselves yeah yeah that's my advice it's just you know just keep true to yourself because that was yeah that was the biggest struggle for me but when i look back i look back fondly at those moments in which i did keep true to myself i look back and go you know what it was great that i didn't take that or it was great that i you know did force them to do this or i did take a step in that direction that's what i look back at yeah 
that and just how funny those people were. Yeah, like, how you know, comical it was, cartoonish. Yeah. Very good advice. Well, I'm glad you're, you know, you're in, um, you know, stable. Well, you have employment at the moment. Hopefully, yeah. eventually you'll find something a bit more permanent. Yeah, you know, and I'm and, still uh, pursuing all the creative fields. You are. All of that. I do theatre every now and then and, yeah. you know, help people with their films and stuff. So, like, still fitting this all in there as well. Yeah, which segues into the next thing I wanted to talk about, your podcast, Spit and Polish Presents. So, that is a uh, film review podcast. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Tell us about that. So, yeah, the film review podcast, Spit and Polish Presents, we talk about films, my friend and I, Bartek. We're both Polish. Mm-hmm. So, Spit and Polish and nice. you know, wordplay there. Nice. And, you know, yeah, that came when I was unemployed, actually, too. It was just something to do. And, um, yeah, we review movies um we just a whole plethora of movies so not just current movies but just you know any kind so we initially started out doing like audio commentary tracks for movies and now we're moving on now we've moved on in the last year to just kind of more round table discussion i pick a movie one week Bartek picks one the other and uh and then listening uh listeners for the next one so yeah we just discuss the movie think talk about how we feel we just had a 200th episode oh, congratulations recently so we did uh the m night Shyamalan movie movie lady in the water oh yes because yes. on our show we're big fans of the actor paul giamatti oh yeah so he's a good he's a good actor every yeah. big milestone we do a paul giamatti movie because <laughs> nice. just by happenstance he he was in the first two movies we covered we didn't do that on purpose and then it just became the thing of will he be in the next one yeah and we don't know it. Um. So yeah, we we uh you know we just talk about the movies we've had. You know, yeah, we've had a few uh, other podcasts on. We'll have you on hopefully in the future. Yeah, absolutely, love to. And we've played your promo as well on my mm. Seinfeld podcast, Big yeah. Bass. We played you. I think we we should play yeah. you again soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it. Like yeah, but I'd love to love to come up. We've had some yep. Seinfeld actors appear, of course, in oh, some yeah. movies. Yeah, that's right. Yes, mainly Jason Alexander and um. Michael Richards. Michael Richards, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're the two that have appeared the mm, most. The most, yeah. Which is yeah. funny. Um, Yeah, and we, you know, we just sit down and talk about movies and, yeah, just have a generally fun time doing it. It's just something fun to do for us. And, you know, I studied film and Bartek's a big fan of film. So we just, you know, sit down and talk about the movies. So if that interests the people listening, you know. Yeah. Spin Posh Presents. We're on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Just find, look up Spit and Posh Presents, you'll find us. And we're, we're on all the podcast catchers out there, you know, all of them. And YouTube as well, if you're one of those people who like listening to podcasts on youtube a lot of people do they do they do <laughs> they do yeah um and i'll leave links in the show notes as well for yeah Spin polish presents and yeah i'd love to be a guest one day on the oh show. yeah you tell much. me maybe if it's like a film with one of the seinfeld oh yeah, yeah, in yeah, it or yeah, a couple yeah. of them that'll be good yeah yeah love to do that one b movie yeah. oh b movie actually we did a review of b movie a couple of years ago on bidwell basque so uh, uh, yeah go back and it is a that. classic yeah i'd love to do that one again yeah Get my take on it two years after I watched it last time. Maybe it's changed. Maybe. Maybe you love it more. Maybe you love it less. Well, the bees are endangered or their uh, <laughs> their populations are dwindling. So, you know, hopefully you can spread the message and try and get the bee populations back up. Hopefully I'm I can tr- influence it. I'm trying somewhere. to think of other movies with Jerry Seinfeld in them. Ooh. Where he doesn't play himself. Yeah. I, I don't Do think there's anything exist? else. No. I think, <laughs> I think Jerry knew that he was an average to below average actor. So yeah. he probably thought, at least he was aware. Yeah. You know, at least he didn't try and do any ambitious projects. I would have loved to have seen his take on Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> that would have been amazing. I'm sure you're fine. Oh, him being Forrest Gump. Him being Forrest Gump. Mm, I don't think it would have worked. I think Tom Hanks was the better choice. Are you sure? <laughs> but yeah. life's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> life's like a box of chocolates. What's the deal with chocolate? What's the deal with that? Why do they put them in boxes in those small pieces? Why don't they just give you the whole block? <laughs> That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, it'll be just that observational humour. Well, anyway, Ryan, thank you so much, mate, for being here. And uh, yeah, it was nice chatting you. Thank you for telling me your story. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks again, man. A real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week. You can reach out to me via email at inmelbournelastweek at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at inmelbournelastweek. I'm also on Twitter at imlastweek. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast service. You take care, and I'll see you next week for another episode of In Melbourne Last Week. Bye. Bye.